Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. We're here every Saturday afternoon to promote and defend public education. We've got a packed show for you this afternoon, so we'll get straight into it. First off, uh, I'll throw over to Kimberly, who's got our press release from the Save Our Schools people. Over to you, Kim. Thanks, Dale. Uh, this is the purpose of education, um, so I'll jump straight into it. I find it hard to think of a time when the management of the education of our children is in such disarray. Recent announcements by the New South Wales Minister for Education and I assume endorsed by her senior bureaucrats have exposed what I believe to be a level of incompetence not previously experienced by the teaching profession. The implementation of an increased level of the supervision of teachers and schools performance implies that they are not of quality resulting in the unrealistic and inconsequential levels of accreditation, the purpose of which seems to reflect a complete distrust of the teaching profession. The latest initiative is to provide lesson plans to support the teachers, perhaps the most ill-informed and insulting policy I have seen. As always, in a time of crisis, there is plenty of well-meaning and intelligent advice to be offered, which I can't fault. Amongst these are the obvious ones. Addressing the lack of critical, critical lack of funding for those schools that have the most need, contrasted by the overfunding of already wealthy schools, a call for the reduction in the teachers' workloads, increase in the rates of pay for teachers, and promoting a culture of respect for teachers. Other innovations that have been adopted, but which I feel are of little value, uh, compound, and other compounding the problem include an emphasis on leadership training. The idea that you can successfully train leaders is a top-down approach that resonates in the echo chamber of academia, bureaucracy, and the professional learning community. The people who promote this fallacy are the same ones who complain about the lack of educators in the top levels of the education department. They realize leadership depends on experience and corporate knowledge, which is only gained through actually doing the work. Leaders emerge from the classrooms and schools. The bureaucratic skill can be gained after the foundations are in place. Addressing teacher wellbeing is another distraction. I believe that teachers' levels of stress, anxiety and depression are at record levels and there is good reason for that being the case. The term bantered about is to increase the teacher's capacity assuming there is no limit to the workload that can be addressed. This implies that the teachers are only exhausted because they are not up to the challenge. There is a glaring omission from these opinions, and that is the lack of recognition that there are children involved. Of course, there will be a righteous outcry that all these propose are the view of improving the education of the children. I contend there are two factors in the present attitude to learning that fail to get to the fundamentals of effective education. The first of these is the stated aims of education. The New South Wales Education Department has the following mission statement. ED's mission is to promote student achievement and preparation for global competitiveness by fostering educational excellence and ensuring equal access. This ambition of global competitiveness is reflected in most other documents relating to the goals of education, which infers education is preparation for competition, particularly in economic terms. Having our children job ready means the need of commerce direct curriculum. The second impediment to true education has been the adoption in the mid-1990s of outcomes-based education. This represented a narrowing of the focus of the curriculum offered in schools. The goal was to narrow the focus of what should be taught instead of developing an expansive learning experience where teachers had more freedom to tailor their lessons to the specific needs of their students. Of course, this complemented the rise of the rationalist approach to all things managed from above. Outcomes-based education conveniently lends itself to measurement. 
the department could judge the efficiency of the machine, hence the obsession with the meaningless NAPLAN testing and reward or punish schools accordingly. On the other hand, the United Nations second principle of the Declaration of the Rights of the Child states, the child shall enjoy a special protection and shall be given opportunities and facilities by law and by other means to enable him to develop physically, mentally, morally, spiritually, and socially in a healthy and normal manner and in conditions of freedom and dignity. In the enactment of laws for this purpose, the best interests of the child shall be paramount consideration. Those of you who have followed my work will not, not be surprised that I support these principles. I do not totally dismiss the need for students to be able to enter the workforce, neither am I totally against having a purpose for our curriculum. These things are undoubtedly important, but they are secondary to what I believe is the real purpose of education. When writing, while writing my last book, I discussed behaviour modification, where the conduct of students whose behaviour was extremely dysfunctional. I was faced with the following challenge, to what do we change their behaviour? I spent many hours researching different philosophies and examining my own beliefs. Eventually, I came to the following four targets for the modification, and these represent my goals of education. Number one, sense of self. Every student has the right to believe they are special, precious, and unique. Not all children are born into homes that support these characteristics. Too many are raised in poverty, in abusive and or neglectful families and develop a fragmented sense of their value. It is in our classrooms that these deficiencies at least have a chance of being addressed and how to do that is the focus of all our newsletters. Number two, relatedness. We are an extremely social species and so many of our needs can only be satisfied, satisfied through the interaction with other members of the community. Social skills are not instinctive, they are learned, and how this happens, again, depends on the early childhood environment. Eventually, relationships in a broad sense are transactional. That is, we are entitled to have our needs met in the presenting environment, but we have to be responsible to contribute back into that setting. Children have to learn how to do this, and again, the classroom may be the only place this can happen. Number three, autonomy. Autonomy differs from relatedness in that as adults, we can operate in our community in a manner that respects the needs of others, but we do not comp compromise our own beliefs. Autonomy emerges as the child develops from a completely dependent being up until they can take control of their life. This journey, in a sense, parallels their brain's development. It must be recognised that healthy independence is not that you have no need for others. Of course, everyone needs others and relationships are crucial for satisfying your personal needs. Autonomy is the process of establishing these relationships while maintaining independence. And number four, purpose. A healthy life is one that has purpose and direction. If you examine people who you would consider successful and contented, you would see individuals involved in a range of endeavours. It doesn't matter what these pursuits are as long as they are related to the individual's intrinsic goals. In best cases, an individual's purpose is reflected in their vocation. I started my working life as an electrician. It was a good job, but I did it just to provide me with the resources to pursue other activities. Later, when I became a teacher, there was a change. I no longer worked only to get resources. My work became my purpose, and this has sustained me for nearly 50 years. Not everyone will be this lucky, but people do need a purpose, and schools should expose their students to a range of opportunities to explore. Somewhere it is proclaimed, build on the rock and not upon the sand. And in education, it is the child's qualities that provide the foundation, not the array of concerns and approaches outlined above. For too many kids, their early environment does not provide the conditions that will allow them to develop such foundations. These are the kids who misbehave, are disengaged, are problems in the classroom. These are the kids who need their foundations repaired because that, without that, 
any improvement in the quality of the teacher, their leadership skills or the manipulation of the curriculum will fail to make a difference. Back to you, Dale. Thank you very much. And that was written by John Frew. And you can find that article on the Save Our Schools website at saveourschools.com.au. But we'll have a little bit of a break and then we'll come back with more. You're listening to The Dogs on 3CR Community Radio. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. And good afternoon again. We're back. You're listening to The Dogs program on 3CR. And now we're going to go over to Sorrel, who's got an article about the teacher's crisis. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Dale. So this article is by Adam Voigt, uh, written for the Sydney Morning Herald, entitled Teacher Crisis Won't Resolve Until We End Game of Political Football. The summit initiated by Education Minister Jason Clare last week into the current and worsening teacher shortage crisis is a welcome move. There are some prominent and knowledgeable people at the table for this discussion and their ideas are likely to be productive. However, the opportunity for genuine traction in this now critical pursuit isn't in the quality of these ideas, it's in the way they're received politically. We may talk about improving the pay levels for teachers at the end of their careers as a lever for keeping mid-career teachers in the profession longer. And provided we don't have them competing to the death in failed subjective and unfair performance arenas, we probably should. And this is a notion that will fly reasonably well with the populace and stand difficult for the opposition to attack. But the pay alone isn't the reason that experienced teachers are leaving in droves. The opportunity for a few extra dollars, and only if you agree to hang around for a few more years, is unlikely to address the conditions that are driving them to breaking point right now. 
These are issues around student behaviour, unrealistic expectations, incessant workload demands and attacks from uninformed parents. And these issues are most acutely felt in the very places where a quality education is most needed and worst resourced, our government schools in our poorest communities. It's easy to grasp at the 20% rate of teachers leaving in the first five years of their careers and to assume a rough 20% level in most schools. It isn't. The reality is that this percentage is far higher in the schools I speak of and far lower in the schools that have a disproportionate level of funding and advantage, our private schools. Not only are these schools enjoying the benefits of luring students to their palatial surrounds with glossy brochures and fancy facilities, they're also marketing their far lower teacher-student ratios. That's right. They're not just peddling ergonomic chairs and pre-existing advantage to guilt-ravaged parents. They're selling a cushier future to our current teachers as well. Effectively, They're skimming off and hoarding the teachers, and often the really good ones, from the places that we are most concerned about. When high quality teachers providing education in tough schools are finally stripped of the resources and hope that they can make a tangible difference, they often seek refuge in private schools. As a result, It might be argued that the dearth of teachers in government schools struggling daily with almost illegal student-teacher ratios just to get to 3.30pm can be best solved by sending a few back from the schools who already often boast ratios of less than 10 students per teacher. If Claire's intention from last week's think tank is genuine reform rather than a handful of low-impact yet popular thought bubbles, then he's going to find an inconvenient truth beneath the surface of the teacher shortage crisis. That is, you just can't separate this crisis from what's become known as the funding wars in education. The elephant in the room around what an authentic, multifaceted and effective solution to this crisis requires is the one thing that slips too regularly from our grasp. It's bipartisanship. Until we can agree as a nation that there's more benefit in an equitable and adequately funded education system than there is in the political mileage it can provide a party, We're pretty much doomed to window dressing level solutions that will ultimately lead us back to more summits and white papers. Until we can agree that the LNP doesn't need to act on behalf of the private schools from which their MPs are esteemed and beholden alumni, until Labor can stop pretending that it advocates for public schools even with well-intended and ineffective summits, without actually threatening the beast of inequality holding us back from any progress, we are getting nowhere on this. For these are the team rules of education played as a political football match. It's your team versus my team and be damned with the kids in the middle. By not changing the rules of the game, we're admitting that we're fine with a scoreboard of up to 60% of our teaching workforce considering a departure within the next five years. 
were also okay with 50% of pre-service teaching applicants abandoning their degree before they even spend a day in the classroom. We're also fine with our national economic and social prosperity being underpinned by an education system that nobody even wants to work in. It's a simple choice of trick or treat. We can continue with vain attempts to trick more people into teaching or staying into teaching, or we can change the way we treat them. Very true. And, uh, yeah, it's, it just feeds into uh, what's an ongoing crisis in uh, teacher quality, uh, which is being addressed by the by teachers' federations and the Australian Education Union around Australia. So we'll be hearing a little bit more from them after this break. They laughed when I 
said You'd be coming home to me He took my body And put it in a boat With a leak at the bottom Destined not to float And the tide pulled out I was quiet on the way Down the river And out into the bay a ship saving souls out on the blue but deep in the sea I am coming home to you and there is a ship saving souls is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was obviously an Aboriginal initiative. I think obviously governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that obviously is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people. Because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy Australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. And welcome back to the Dogs Program. You're listening to the Dogs on 3CR, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And we've been talking about uh, unions and their roles. We've been talking about teachers' crisis, but now we're talking, we've got an article by Angelo Gabrielatis, who's from the New South Wales Teachers' Federation up there in New South Wales. We've been doing a lot of uh, strikes and, and solidarity work. So this is an article from... Angelo, indulge me for a moment as I meander down memory lane. My lifelong commitment to social justice and the transformative power of public education was forged in the classrooms of Punchbowl Boys High School, where a bunch of inspiring teachers taught me many decades ago. 
Another thing that stayed with me is the school's motto, factor non verba, deeds not words. It's a yardstick I've used many times to assess all kinds of announcements, particularly those made by politicians over the years. Recently, I've had cause to do so again. In April, New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet said, we want our teachers to be paid the best. Are you starting to get, our, get my drift? In July, the Queensland Government announced an offer that will give the state's teachers a pay rise of 11%, potentially a further 9% as a cost of living adjustment over the next three years. Queensland teachers will be the highest paid in the country and we don't even come second. In fact, we're currently way down the pack in, in third last. So back to the teacher shortage impacting thousands of students and teachers every day across New South Wales. As has been often stated, the government's own internal briefings conclude the demands and expectations of teachers are increasing while the current rewards are not providing enough incentive to attract and retain the teachers we need, resulting in the most serious teacher shortage in our lifetime. And as has been often said, if you know the cause of a problem, by definition, you know the solution. In unprecedented fashion, the Paratet government continues to deny and conceal the severity of the problem. In response to questions on notice in Parliament, the government and its department instructed schools to manipulate data in an attempt to suppress the total number of instances where classes are split, merged or minimally supervised. Apart from attempting to mislead Parliament, they are actively seeking to mislead parents. To top it off, they're now seriously suggesting they don't have the relevant data, even though it has already been collected from schools. Another form of denial is the repeated attempt by the government to divert attention from the underlying causes of, of the shortages, suggesting the disruption in our schools is due to COVID and winter illnesses. Let me be clear, COVID and the flu are just making a bad situation worse. The teacher shortage has been 10 years in the making. It is the result of deliberate failed government policies and it's getting worse. This is evidenced by parliamentary documents that reveal there were 1,657 full-time teacher vacancies on the 10th of June, 67% higher than the same time last year. While the teacher shortage affecting our schools today is unprecedented, of even greater concern is what our schools will look like in three, five and ten years' time should the government not take urgent action. The teaching workforce is ageing and the government's own research shows a 30% drop in enrolments in initial teacher education, ITE, between 2014 and 2019. In 2019, ITE programmes commencements dropped by 19% from 2017 levels. Compounding the problem is the fact that the number of ITE completions for, not, for 2019 is at the lowest point in 14 years. One report notes drops in completions were particularly noticeable in New South Wales. As for retention rates, seven out of 10 teachers say they are reconsidering their future in, in the profession because of the workload. If this is not addressed, teacher burnout threatens to dramatically increase this exodus. And this echoes what was mentioned in the earlier article about continuing to give 
teachers' workload that outside of actually teaching and expecting them to saying that they're not up to the task, you know, if uh, they don't find time for it when it's not actually their job. Uh, but back to the article. The depth of this potential crisis is borne out by the numbers. In a recent opinion piece by the Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell, uh, she conceded that an additional 3,800 teachers will be required by 2027. The picture at the end of the decade is, ev is even more frightening. An additional 15,000 plus teachers will be needed across New South Wales. No amount of tinkering or slick advertising can deal with the structural issue of uncompetitive pay and unsustainable workloads which have brought us to this point. The government's $125 million teacher supply strategy did not deliver a single teacher in nine months. The tiny numbers of fast-track this or fast-track that will not be a drop in the ocean. As for lowering qualifications and rushing people into teaching, research shows that this is this to be poor policy because apart from lowering educational standards, program costs associated with such policy settings are extremely high and retention rates tend to be extremely low. Your response to this workforce crisis has been as exemplary as it has been inspiring. This is Angelo saying to the New South Wales Teachers Federation members, the first 24-hour strike in a decade was conducted on the 7th of December 2021. Even more members turned out at the strike held on the 4th of May this year and on the 30th of June, the first joint strike action in more than 20 years with members of the Independent Education Union, New South Wales and ACT branch. Your actions underlined the commitment and determination of the profession to secure the changes to salaries and workloads necessary to secure the future of the profession and ensure the provision of public education across New South Wales is of the highest quality. Regrettably, noting the intransigence of the Paratet government, we must maintain and indeed intensify our efforts to maximise political pressure on the government to achieve the change we need. To that end, a political strategy, along with a paid advertising campaign, will be rolled out this term. A message to the Premier. Premier Perrottet, the time for deeds, not words, is now. Every child deserves a qualified teacher for every lesson every day. It is their right and an essential part of the government's obligation to provide public education of the highest quality in every community. Premier, a failure to act risks failing a generation of students and teachers. Premier, a failure to act on your part will leave us with no alternative but to act again. And that was from Angelo Gavrielatis to the New South Wales Teachers Federation attempting to address the shocking conditions for teachers up in New South Wales and Australia-wide. You're listening to The Dogs on 3CR. We'll be right back after this. Want to defend government schools? We are the dogs, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the Dogs Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. 
Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary They're School. really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly uh, assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great deal. relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Welcome back to the DOGS program on 3CR, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And you might, regular listeners might know that, uh, you might notice that Jean's not with us today. I'm going to throw over to Jeff. You can uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on uh, here at home in Melbourne with, with Jean and also then go over to the United States. Jeff? Look, they breed them tough uh, here in Australia and Jean and her husband Richard are toughies um but richard is a bit poorly at the moment he's in hospital uh, richard being gene's husband so gene's away this week um uh just looking after him and making sure he's okay and um on the road to recovery we hope um and we hope to have gene back when she's feeling better and feeling able to to participate so a big thing out to get well soon to richard uh, and those who know the dogs realize that richard has been absolutely pivotal in some of the early history of the dogs and the ongoing uh, work that we do. Yeah, we send our love and our thoughts out to Jean and Richard, right? Indeed, indeed. So now just to go over to the thing that Jean put me onto, which is America, which is the gift that keeps giving in terms of the, the way that the culture wars are shaped over there it tends to be what we get eventually here. But uh, similarly, they, they're going through some pretty strange culture wars at the moment. Um, there's some right-wing uh, movements in America which are seeking to ban books that disagree with their political ideology. And um, this book banning has spread across several states. 
but it's getting to a point now of where it's the ridiculousness of it is is coming to the fore. Uh, and in Texas, there's a school uh, which has, uh, you know, it's uh, it's called the Keller Independent School District Board of Trustees, and they've adopted the policies of these right wing groups in setting new standards for how books and other instructional materials are chosen for schools, including books up for 30 days of public review before they're being purchased by libraries. And they remove challenged books from the shelves while they're being reviewed. This is supposedly to prevent uh, information, things like LGBTQI and, and that sort of stuff going through that they, they don't believe should be viewed by the students or anything at all. Uh, showing race theory or uh, critical race theory or anything else like that, that opposes their their ideology. But um, some of the parents have taken it upon themselves to challenge all sorts of books besides that. So um, interestingly, so this article is from NPR News, uh, which is the National Public Radio uh, News on, on their education. It came from the 18th of August. And it says, the Bible is amongst dozens of books removed from this Texas school district. Uh, it says, students at the Keller Independent Dis School District outside Fort Worth, Texas, went back to school Wednesday, but instead of the focus being on their return, much of the attention has been heaped on an email that was sent out the day before, instructing school staff to pull all copies of a list of more than 40 books from classrooms and school libraries. The books that were pulled include the graphic novel adaptation of Anne Frank's diary, all versions of the Bible, and numerous books with LGBTQI plus themes or characters. The school board did not say why the Bible and the Anne Frank book were removed, but parents had objected to them according to the list. The books on the list have been challenged at the district in the past, and while some have been reviewed and put back on the shelves, they must all undergo another review under new criteria set out by the school board, and the school district said in a statement to NPR, this is hilarious in a sense, they're using their own laws against them. Fox News, by the way, has been running this without any irony, um, declaring that how can one person you know, ban a book, uh, cause it to be reviewed just by objecting to it? Uh, the irony being that's exactly what the right wing have been doing um, to shut down uh, education in these in these small communities. Uh, shut down education is probably over the top, but reducing the books. Shut down discussion of tech of yeah. critical race theory, of progressive ideas, a discussion of of themes that are relevant to life in the twenty first century. That children are going to need to need to know these things in order to be able to navigate the society in which they live. Uh, yet, so to shut them out is is just crazy. And and it is pertinent to the dogs because the dogs are two a two pronged approach. Not only do we promote uh, and defend public education, but also staunch believers in the separation of church and state. Exactly, and these these basically religious views and or uh, racial uh, segregationist views uh, are exactly the opposite of what public education should be about. You can't tell, teach in some of these schools about uh, the slave background of the United States or um, the, the fact that there were race riots or anything at all, even vaguely uh, socially... Um, social justice. Say, uh, regarding social justice or social conflict or... Any, any indication that people weren't otherwise than happy campers. 
Anyway, uh, right now the Keller Institute. So this is actually making the ludicrous joke of of what they what they're trying to do by turning their own system back on them and banning the Bible. So right now it says Keller's ISD administration is asking our campus staff and librarians to review books that were challenged last year to determine if they meet the requirements of the new policy. All of the books included in Tuesday's email have been included on Keller's ISD book challenge over the past year. Books that meet the new guidelines will be returned to libraries as soon as it's confirmed they comply with the new policy. Some of the board's new members were backed by Patriot Mobile Action, a conservative Christian political action committee, the PAC said in a news release. How the new policy will work is not completely clear to parents, they told NPR. The Texas Tribune reports that the new Keller ISD policies are based on a model from the Texas Education Agency, and that ultimately school board members have the ability to accept or reject any material. Some parents worry about banning books for everyone. Lainey Hawkes is a parent of four children in the district ranging from the first to the not ranging from the first to the ninth grade. She said she understands and agrees with parents who don't want their children to read material that is inappropriate for their age. But she doesn't think that this is the right way to go about it. All of our children are capable and able and ready for different materials, Hawke said. Not everyone is ready for the same. I agree with that, and I think that those decisions should be made by parents for their own children specifically. I don't think that certain materials that you don't feel are appropriate for your children should be withheld from my children too. Hawks is one of a group of parents who have become more involved with the district in recent years. Hawks and another parent, Gretchen Veiling, both can volunteer to be part of the group that reviewed books when they were challenged. Um, Hawks was involved in review of Anne Frank's diary, the graphic adaptation, while Veiling was in the group that reviewed Flamer, the semi-autobiographical novel by Mike Curato. Both books were discussed within the last year by parents, librarians, and teachers who all chose to chose to themselves. But with the books under review again, there are no guarantees they will be are made available to students. Belling said she first got involved in a book review committee when she realised that many of the titles being challenged were LGBTQ plus books. She said both her sons are openly gay, and when they want to read a book, she typically buys it for her for them. But her concern is for kids who might not have that same support at home. If they don't have access to a book that is reflective of who they are, does it just continue to make them feel like they're in a homophobic area? So I started speaking up because of that, Velling said. It's open to all the other kids that won't have access to it who really do need access to it. Keller ISD did not say if there was a timeline for when the book reviews would be completed. But in the meantime, Hawks said she thinks the school board will continue implementing conservative Christian policies. They really, really want to attack our curriculum and make sure that no social emotional learning ever enters our curriculum, Hawks said, adding that there are two other spots on the school board that will be up for election in May. So, yeah, it's just the culture wars at, at, the, at the granular level and um, how sad it is that the disintegration of, of public education in America has got to the point where individual schools have to fight these fights uh, between politically conservative parents and um, the librarians mm. um, and the other and progressive parents it's just it's it's dividing people um, it's a terrible trend and we we hope that we don't see that level of division in Australia anyway uh, back to you Dale thanks very much for that Jeff uh, we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back with some good news and welcome back. You're listening to The Dogs Program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools program on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, 
3CR Digital in Melbourne and streaming live on the World Wide Web at 3cr.org.au. And incidentally, you can find all podcasts of our programs up on the 3CR website. Or you can find out more about the dogs by visiting our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And now, people might have, if you've been reading The Age over the past few weeks, uh, you'll notice they've been doing a series on schools that are excelling in 2022 and they've got a list of schools that have been excelling using data that from the last decade so uh and so that data includes the covid period as well and not surprising to us here at the dogs many of the schools that are excellent uh, uh that are excelling by leaps and bounds are in fact government schools, not the schools that taxpayers pay millions for and parents pay even more for, but government schools, the public schools that are doing a great deal of the heavy lifting on shoestring budgets. Uh, The first, uh, actually number one school on the excelling list is the Northern College of Arts and Technology. Uh, And I've got a little piece of audio, so let's hear it from some of the students and the teachers from the Northern College of Arts and Technology. It's a school that was set up as a specialised college for young people who really want to pursue careers in the areas of uh, the performing arts, music, dance, uh, in any of the area, the visual arts and design, uh, as well as technology. So we offer all the traditional subjects, but we really specialise and we have unique facilities and courses, that don't, some of which don't exist anywhere else. Uh, this school's really good at providing um, opportunities for all the students. Musicians get chances to perform, soundies get chances to like build performances, and art students get chances to broadcast their art and all that sort of stuff. So I also study psychology, health and English. Um, Yeah, and music just sort of adds on top of that, um, sort of delves into more of the industry standard sort of stuff. I think this school has, um, it's provided me with a lot more opportunities to perform and um, do sound stuff for a lot of other bands. Um, It's it's built my confidence a lot with performing um, and it's built on my skills a lot as well. It takes me about an hour to travel here, but yeah, it's worth it. It's a really good school to be at. So in the Year 10 program, I study all the subjects here, so I study automotive, engineering, which is my major, carpentry, electro and design. At my old school, I went to an all-girls school, so I found it really hard to get along with people that because they didn't have the same interests, especially with trades and stuff, they wanted to become something and then I was just like, I don't know what I want to do. And then I came here and then I was like, definitely trade because it's definitely for me. Success is defined in every single way. It's not just about an ATAR score. It is about finding real pathways for our young people, making sure that they have a broad range of pathways that they can go to. You know, we've had students that have scored perfect 50s in engineering and and won uh, vice-chancellor scholarship at Swinburne, but we also have students that last year finished their four-year apprenticeships and started on a salary of $120,000, which is a you know, when you compare that to a starting t- salary of a teacher. So a lot of our young people here in the technologies come because they really want to pursue an apprenticeship and they get them. And we just heard from some of the teachers and students from 
the Northern College of Arts and Technology, which uh, is a great and number one on the schools that have been excelling uh, using data from 2012 to 2022. And now we go to another great state school our great state school of the week every week on the doctor program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school state schools are great schools. school of the week state school school of the week great state schools state schools school of the week school for the week here on the dogs program This week's Great State School of the Week is Lyndhurst Secondary College, who actually came third in the Age Awards for Governments, sorry, in the Age Awards for Schools and is a government school in Melbourne's South. Um, We just have a message from the principal of Lyndhurst Secondary College whose name is Eloise Haynes, and she writes, Lindhurst Secondary College has a dynamic and diverse learning community in which they seek to empower students for learning and life. A cooperative spirit is prevalent amongst the school and each student enjoys the caring and supportive environment in which they learn every day. The values that their school hold encourage commitment, excellence, integrity, and respect. All of these are inherent in the college community itself, the staff, the students, and their families alike. They are dedicated to supplementing students' learning with a wide range of co-curricular programs, including extensive student leadership development, performing arts, and sporting opportunities. Every student is encouraged to get involved with the wider community of their school and they're they're there to help them build on necessary skills to do so. Multi-Pride, our award-meeting program, has become a model for supporting cultural harmony with other schools since its inception several years ago. Their staff focus on classroom learning, on the growth individual students make to ensure everyone's expectations are maintained. They determine students' progress by assessment data, which establishes their entrance level and later establishes their growth. Curriculum is differentiated, so every student, no matter the starting point, achieves their best. Lindhurst Secondary College's Select Entry Academic Curriculum Enhancement, ACE, program is a learning pathway for high achievers. ACE students access unique learning opportunities and get an early start to VCE through this program. It accelerates and enhances their specialist learning, which is important if they need a certain ATAR score. They place equal emphasis on those students seeking a career in a trade, Trade students can experience work placement and TAFE education and can enhance their learning through the wide range of VET and VCAL options, such as school-based apprenticeship or structured workplace learning. So as we mentioned before, the AGE has the Schools That Excel series, and this is actually the fourth edition of the series where the age is celebrating schools that achieve outstanding improvement in their VCE results. 
The series looks at schools that have improved their end-of-year VCE performance over the past decade from 2012 to 2021. Of course, two of those 10 years were dominated by the disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority applied special consideration to results for the second year straight in 2021. Yet the hard work of Victorian students, teachers and school communities has shone through in these awards. Lyndhurst Secondary College Principal Eloise Haynes told The Age, as adults, we tend to underestimate the drive and resilience young people have. Over the last few years, our kids have shown us exactly how resilient and persistent they can be. So congratulations again to Lyndhurst Secondary College for winning an AGE Award for Government Schools in Melbourne South. And now I just have some facts and figures for you. The enrolment at Lyndhurst Secondary College is 706 students. Its ICSIA value is well below average at 940. There is only 3% of students with parents in the upper quartile. There is only 12% of students with parents in the second highest quartile. 27% of students have their parental income in the second lowest quartile and 58% of their students' parents' income is in the lowest quartile. So 40% of their students speak a language other than English and they have 3% Indigenous students. And now a bit about their finances. From the Commonwealth Government, they have $2 million. From the Victorian Government, $8.2 million. Fees and parental contributions make up about $100,000. And there are $49,000 from other private contributions, which makes for around $17,000 per pupil. And the NAPLAN is above average. Yeah, so seventeen thousand is is a bargain, absolute bargain for the what a uh, for the results they're getting. That's actually under the Gonski School Resourcing Standard. So congratulations to the students and pupil that and the teaching and the support staff at Lindhurst Secondary. And I'd just like to point out that uh, the school that did come number one, the Northern College of Arts and Technology is actually a school that we on the dogs uh, featured in our Radiothon special this year. Uh, we had uh, Claire Land and instructor and activist Alexander Walker uh, on to talk about an exhibition that was at the Melbourne Museum called Fight for Survival, Cultural Resistance, Reasonable, Rational, Responsible, the story of the Northland Secondary College. So this is the Northland Secondary College that Kenneth tried to close down in the 90s. Uh, and it's there's been an ex- exhibition about that struggle in the 90s at the museum. And yeah, if you'd like to listen to Alexander Walker, who was an instructor there then and part of the uh, fight to keep it open, uh, you can go back and listen to our Radiothon special at the 3CR website in our podcast list. But, yeah, that, that's a, an example of a wonderful government school that actually came number one in the schools that excel. 
Uh, so it was well worth the effort to keep it open. And everyone at these government schools should be incredibly proud uh, of themselves because they do a lot of the heavy lifting with some of the students from the most disadvantaged backgrounds uh, and they get the least funding and yet they're doing amazing things. So congratulations. Well, that's all we've got time for here at The Dogs. You can find out more about us at www.adogs.info. You can find our podcasts at the 3CR website. That's 3cr.org.au. Um, but until next week, uh, our thoughts go out to Jean and Richard and uh, much love from everyone here at The Dogs. And uh, in solidarity, we say until next week, it's Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Says I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.